Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing episode episode 5 of season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, Die Trying. Do you have strong feelings about 32nd century starship design? Nope. No, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was definitely at a a disadvantage Mm. this this episode because I I really 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 don't care at all, <laughs> ever about any ships. The whole cold open, I was like, oh, this is nice. Gosh, it's going on a bit. And then I started having flashbacks to the motion picture, which is bad. <laughs> then I had flashbacks to Lower Decks parody of the motion, of picture, the motion picture, which was good. <laughs> it was designed to make us cry. I feel really. Like that whole cold open and I was completely unemotional I guess not cry but like to make us emotional and I was very unemotional for the whole thing yeah. so but that's it I think it's a me thing I definitely wasn't the target audience for that whole sequence I even found the extremely blatant Voyager shout out desperately <laughs> embarrassing Oh my gosh, what a terrible piece of writing. It was, yeah, it was just, it was a tour of shout outs. Yeah. And it felt like that's all it was. It did not feel, I loved the crew, like the Discovery crew being like really excited about everything and running to the windows, like that was sweet. But I didn't feel that way and I felt like it was trying really hard to make me feel that way and that's so it felt a little manipulative that's exactly how i how i felt uh i recently watched the two competing documentaries on nexium the multi-level marketing scheme slash cult and there's all this footage of people being happy and joyous and excited uh, and that's sort of how i felt watching this Oh my goodness. And I think of all the shout outs in that sequence, the only one that worked for me was the USS Nog, because that was the only subtle bit. And I realised this is not a subtle series, but it was just trying so hard. I was just, I was a bit embarrassed for everyone involved. So the Nog thing was actually too subtle for me because I knew it was going to happen because I'd seen people talking about it on Twitter. I didn't Mm -hmm. watch this until evening okay, instead of morning. And I, I read a whole article about it on, I think, Trek News, one of them. And mm. it was about how it was this tribute and how it's an Eisenberg-class ship. And so I was fantastic. looking. I was looking for it, and I didn't see it. <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess I just do not have the attention span for, for fly-by ship shots because I couldn't even catch the one that I was purposely looking for yeah so that's why i think it's it was i'm just not the audience i'm not the person that it was gonna get i the music swelled and played the original series theme and i was just like nope (laughs) yeah uh truthfully i found the music very intrusive this episode because there were a lot of original series cues and i was like okay we know it's star trek you're into your third season and you can stop being defensive about it it actually felt like offense. <laughs> like they were saying, yeah. we're going to do new things with Starfleet, but that doesn't mean we're not Starfleet. Like, it, I don't know. It was weird. It, it was. And that's sort of how I feel about the whole episode. I enjoyed watching it, but I found it deeply predictable on every level. And it doesn't really, like, it didn't, the aspects that stay with me were not the main plot. Yes, so as I was writing up my notes for this podcast, I realized I don't think I liked this episode, <laughs> like at all. I liked non-getting backstory mm-hmm. and current story, like non-getting to be a real character. I really yeah. liked that. I really liked... Giorgio being ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, I love her. And everything about her was over the top and great. 
And that's it. <laughs> like, I, 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 a dead fair is pretty to look at. I have some feelings about him. One of them is I'm really mad that they've made it quite difficult for me to ship Cat with him. I was walking around the house this morning waiting for my breakfast to be delivered because, you know, you wake up and your bread is stale and you have no choice but to order something in. So I was walking around preparing for this podcast and trying to decide, did I like this episode? (laughs) And did I think it was a good episode? And my answer to both is sort of yes, but. I didn't dislike it, but I don't have strong feelings about it except specifically for the Jojo subplot. And did I think it was a good episode? It was a competent piece of Star Trek, but it was not in any way groundbreaking. I and I don't want to be like negative. No. <laughs> but so you you mentioned that you weren't like the plot wasn't important and that is super true. The plot was I think the weakest part. Mm. And I'm that's not like I don't really care about plot, so it wasn't. That's, that's not, not my, a deal breaker. That's not the yeah. That's not a deal breaker. But what it what happened is, I I wasn't invested in anything. Like and I spent a lot of the time trying to understand what the plot even was. Mm. Like there is a lot of we get to this place and we meet this guy and we get a quest for this and then we go to this place and we meet this guy and we get a quest for this and Mm. then we go to this place and it was like and we have to trade non in i don't know why i i don't understand why she had to stay something about the ship i have feelings about that and i saw that coming very early on and kind of liked it but but, like, I understood Nan's reasons for staying mm. because her character was very strong in this episode. But it was literally right. nothing, like, they, the interrogation scenes were great and hilarious, but they should have had more of that. Like, if they were not going to have a good plot, a strong plot, then they, they should have been like, give us get, get rid of the plot entirely and, and give us more of the character stuff. You know, one of the very early Next Generation episodes that I absolutely fell in love with was the first season episode, I think it's Coming of Age, the first one where Wesley tries and fails to get into the Academy. And at the same time, a jerk lieutenant is interrogating the main cast for... Yes. As what we'll learn is foreshadowing for conspiracy. And just the sequence of interrogation scenes. I was only a kid. I was nine years old when I watched that and instantly became a storytelling device and a trope that I adored. And so I could have done with a lot more of it here. Like, give me a whole episode of that. Give me more of that. But regarding the plot... (laughs) (laughs) My notes are all, I don't understand. (laughs) Why is this happening? Is that right? (laughs) I told you yesterday to remind me that I wanted to talk about how this season is being paced like a video game. And this yes. episode, like, I thought that last week and just never got around to talking about Adira's loyalty mission. And this week confirmed it because they're literally sent on a fetch quest. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to this place to earn enough charisma points for us to have an opinion about you and ally with you. You need to do this fetch quest. Off you go. Right. Also, it was like Michael came up with the quest. Yeah. And she sort of stumbled on it. Like, there was this ship that was around in my time, and it's probably still here. I was like, what? It felt very artificial. Why would that be true? It almost felt like Michael was trying to avoid staying under Starfleet's direct eye for too long, which, if it's the case, is really interesting and sort of ties back into the question of what she's been doing for the last year. But I don't think that's what they had in mind. I think they just felt like they needed a plot. Yeah, when we get to Saru and Michael, I have a lot to say about Michael. Mm. But I'm going to hold it for that discussion. Uh, This is just, yeah, the plot, I, I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't care enough to try and figure it out. When they reached the ship, my first thought, seeing how creepy it was, was that this is the second ghost story of the season. And I was really intrigued by that. Like, if if 
part of the season is about being haunted by the ghosts of the past. That's really mm. cool. But then I, I guessed very, very quickly what the twist would be. The kids are dead. The wife is dead. The sad white man is a sad white man. Because <laughs> you've, you've read that story. I've read that story. I've read that story. I've watched that story. You know how Definitely. to tell that, make that story fresh? The parents are dead. The little sister is dead. The teenage daughter is the one trying to save them. I'm not, I'm not just saying that because my solution to any problem is to throw a teenage girl at it. Well, but I'm going to, I'm going to say, even if it was the mother, it would be a different take. Like it, it was, would. it was really like cookie cutter. Yeah. And with... one of the writers of this was James Duff, who pre, before he joined the, the Star Trek machine did major crimes, which is a cookie cutter procedural. He's not a bad writer, but I don't think he's a particularly groundbreaking one. Right, and so uh, this is my my one other thing I want to... I have a bullet point that it says, weirdly, this trip to Starfleet Command feels extremely important and like filler at the exact same time. No, you're right, because we introduce Admiral Oded Far, J- uh, Charles Vance, who is very handsome and has magnificent hair, and I'm very into Ooh. that. <laughs> And he doesn't seem to be a fully evil admiral, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And we meet uh, Kovic, who is known to the world as David Cronenberg. <laughs> I love how he... no one calls him Kovic. No one online. No one. No one. <laughs> I don't think he's even... Is his name even used in the episode? I don't I don't think so. I had to look it up. And, yeah. and I was like, I don't remember hearing that. But, <laughs> but no, it was just, it was... no. But like, I feel like they looked at the Mandalorian getting Werner Herzog and went, hmm, let's see who's free. <laughs> I also choose to believe that if David Cronenberg is Section 31, then David Lynch is like R&D or something. Anyway. Interesting. And yes. like the, the idea, that's, yeah, the way that everybody's floating around the, that he's Section 31. And I was like, oh, so this Section 31 show is going to be in the future? <laughs> That's because everyone's we've all been saying, how can she get her own show Mm. if she's in the future? But if he's section 31 and he either he recruits her or like she murders him and takes over (laughs) as she is wont to do, as is traditional (laughs) among her people, uh, then then it could be sense. It could be now. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm very into that. I'm very into establishing the 32nd century as more than just a one off for discovery. Uh, and, and yes, the third character we meet is Lieutenant Willa, Starfleet Security, who is, she's kind of non 2.0. <laughs> she's definitely non 2.0. To the point where she was in the background observing people. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was weird. It was, it's, mm. so I really liked non-storyline and I even sort of like how it's resolved but yeah. I don't understand why they keep introducing people and then building them up and getting rid of them in the same episode. Uh, if she's actually gone, I'm assuming that Rachel Ancheril got a, got a regular job somewhere. Somewhere else? What? Hmm. Yeah, like a lead role or something worth leaving this for. What I don't understand, and good on her if that's the case, but what I don't understand is why she was added to the main credits for four episodes only to leave. And she wasn't and even. She wasn't in. even in one. Yeah, so it just. I feel it's, like it's just weird. It is, and maybe something will come out behind the scenes. But it really did feel like they went, "Oh shit, we have to write out Nan." Okay, we're going to give her a really good send off. It's going to be great, and then we need someone to take her place. So we're going to introduce Lieutenant Willow, who is similarly skeptical and similarly an outsider yeah so so you're positing that they had scripts already written with non in mind and they had to put someone else in because they had to write out non and so they made willa purposefully be like a non 2.0 i hadn't precisely thought about (laughs) that clearly and it's only a week until i'm proven right or wrong and it's probably wrong but i wouldn't be hugely surprised I mean, I have my my main bullet point for Willa is can we keep her? So yeah, I, yeah, I like her. Well, I, I I want her to join the crew of of the Starfleet Command people. Actually, honestly, all three of them were interesting in their own way. Yeah, and I, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked the 
we're going to introduce a lot of new people and they're different. Yes. Like they, they have something new. Yes. I um, do feel like Admiral Vance is sort of sliding into the cat position of the tough but essentially fair Admiral role. And mm-hmm. I like that. I'm sorry that he's not a middle-aged lady. Uh, if there's a female Oded Fair out there, she should get in touch because I love her. But, you know, I, I, I like having a reasonable admiral around. I'm just a little bit worried because at least two and possibly three of my other shows, he's shown up and been like the new cool guy and then he ends up betraying them all mm. well he's a starfleet admiral yeah, so it's three really it's three three different series have done that so it's yeah. a little like a little worried that's his type you know sort of like how we were all like look Lorca has to be evil because he's played by jason isaacs it's sort of this right <laughs> which is a hollywood problem not a you know, not a sto- not a Star Trek problem, right? But... but Jason Isaacs has two modes: he's either evil or he's a tortured private detective or cop. And we <laughs> knew he wasn't a private detective or cop, so so yeah, I'm I'm not going to trust Admiral Vance with my life just yet. But I like what I've seen of him. If he turns out to be evil, well, there's something to be said about that too. And then there's Kovic, who is just like evil up front. He straight up says he's one of those guys who's been creepily obsessed with Nazis since he was a kid. Like, I feel like you don't cast David Cronenberg if you want a character to be trustworthy and not creepy. No, no, he and he's and it's great. It's a, it's fun to see someone that can wrinkle wrinkle mm. Georgia that you know can get her off her pedestal that she get keeps her herself off, on. You say. <laughs> well, I, I, I just yeah. something about her calls for entendre. <laughs> uh, but their scene was a lot of fun. Their scenes were my favorite in the whole episode, and the mystery yeah. of what he has done to her, if anything, is really exciting to me because I do feel like we're at the stage of Georgiou's development where she needs to be genuinely vulnerable mm-hmm. in order to grow. And it's already working because I saw comments from people who have never been behind the, mm. the idea that she's still on the show saying this was the first episode where I was, I, I was understood why she was still here. You know, to me, that's like they haven't really been subtle about the fact that she's there for Michael, but okay, okay. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean that like meta wise you know why oh, why are yes. we supposed to ca- it's a it's a kylo ren problem why are we supposed to care about these space nazis and it's like well first of all they're not actually nazis and it's sort of wrong to call them that it's certainly reductive i know i did it five minutes ago but well yeah. i just mean it's like nazis are real and so it's conflating things that shouldn't be conflated in my yeah. opinion and but secondly that they the fact that they like they made that choice the creators made that choice and you don't have to like her and you don't have to care about her or be invested but saying that she doesn't have a purpose or she's not here for any reason is sort mm. of like you're you're dismissing the the you're right like yes she's she is there because of her relationship with michael and she's there because they're telling her story I don't know what her story is. It could be great and it could be horrible, but they are telling her story. She's doing things and people are, no one, you know, people are sort of making a space for her and keeping her at arm's length at the same time. And that's interesting. It's also, you know, she's introduced in the season as the one woman tactical squad and then the following episodes sort of break that down. She's not, she's also the person who tells haikus at a dinner party and now Mm -hmm. she seems to be really vulnerable in an unexpected way and we don't yet know why. And that's that's how you build sympathy for a character, but it's Mm -hmm. also interrogating her role on the show. And it's also interesting that 
this is this is something I say over and over again. And yes, I'm going to bring up Seska again, but mm-hmm. that the fact that these people who have been so disinterested in her, mm-hmm. like aggressively, aggressively disinterested in the character as a as a character, have you know said, oh, this is the first time that she mattered to me in any way. You know that I was interested in what was going on with her that she was more than an annoyance yeah is also the the episode where this guy is is talking about her culture and how yes. screwed up it is and how it it creates this type of person and so like i was like that's why we need these stories that's why we need to keep these characters around mm. They start they start off with the misdirect of oh there's a biological reason for you being the way they are the way you are and she's like honey no I I I, ch- <laughs> I choose to be this way and I am very very wicked just look at me look at all these people I've killed lately uh some people who are attacking my friends no I don't have friends like <laughs> I think in meeting David Cronenberg she's sort of dealing with someone who is fetishizing her and fetishizing her culture. And also maybe making her realise how removed emotionally she is from that culture now. As well as physically, you know, he says, we're not going back to the mirror universe. There hasn't been a crossing in 500 years because it's too different now. That's super interesting too. Mm. The the separation of universes is a, like, that's a physics thing. That's a thing yeah. that people talk about in physics. So it's like, ooh, it's science, but it's also super interesting that they're allowing that science like they're they're saying it you know that they're Mm. bringing it into the story and saying we can't go back there it's like that's just really interesting to me i feel like to me they're saying we can't go back because deep space nine (laughs) ruined the mirror universe (laughs) but it's like 800 years later there could be so many coups already it's true it's true there's just like the hundredth clone of Intendant Kira is running the whole galaxy. See, you know what? I am here for that. <laughs> I hate Intendant Kira, but I love Nana Visitor. I trust Gersha Phillips to make her a costume that she can actually wear. <laughs> but anyway, putting setting that aside, I just yeah. I like it when science is used for like when they use science for plot reasons instead of when they use plot for sci- like I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It's very intelligent though. <laughs> Unlike some science fiction fans, you think the science should serve the plot, not the other way around. Yes. I agree. And I also like that they're using science to talk about their really stupid evil universe where everyone has goatees. Exactly. Even the the genetic stuff, which is silly, mm. super silly. Like that's that's kind of, that's like the uh, you know what is it the serial killer gene? Yes. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> yeah, okay, but that isn't why serial killers kill. <laughs> it's not. remarkably few children of serial killers become serial killers themselves. <laughs> right. So. It's it's interesting. It's interesting stuff that I love that they are engaging with because it's what I always want. I I those stories are better. The stories mm. about why someone becomes a villain, why someone becomes a serial killer, right, are more interesting stories than just going after them and capturing them and destroying them, or you know they're. Uh, redemption equals death. Yeah. But I'm completely no. over. I, I, I think the other reason I loved the Cronenberg scenes is because he's the only person telling the truth about the Federation now. Like, yes, Admiral Vance gives us numbers and there are so many member worlds left, blah, blah, blah. But Vance and Giorgio are the ones, um, not Cronenberg and Giorgio are the ones going, yeah, the Federation is actually really, really vulnerable and scared and doesn't quite know what to do now. Mm. I'm so 
There's 30-something member worlds. Mm-hmm. And Earth is not one of them? No. Does anyone... Like, they're... But most of the people we saw are human. It's actually interesting to me that there are more humans in yeah. Starfleet Command than, you know, that when the Earth Defence Force beamed into the bridge, there were quite a lot of Tellarites in that group. So... Yeah. Is it, is it coincidence? Or is it just that the human diaspora was great enough that humans are everywhere? Well, I mean, of course, because we're, we live on Earth and we're human and we're watching a human television show. But... Within context, it's weird. Yes. I want to know what, I want to know about other planets that we, the other planets that we know about, I want to know now. I didn't, I wasn't, I started to get interested in this mm -hmm. last episode and now I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm the weird political nerd who <laughs> cares more about <laughs> what, what are these treaties? What did they you know, how, why did they make the decision to stay in the Federation in its super secret bubble land? And oh my god, they're literally living in a bubble. I, it's, I'm, I want to know everything about why all of this happened. Not, mm. like, not the burn. I don't want to know about the catalyst, but how the, the decisions were made. Hmm. And obviously, that's ne I'm never going to know that. <laughs> that is something that I am, I'm already resigned to the fact no one other than me cares. So that's not going to be an episode. The creators of Avatar The Last Bender talk about what they call Trade Federation stuff, which is the level of world building that went into the Star Wars prequels that most audience members did not care about. And with regards to the Avatar universe, I'm always like, but I want to know the Trade Federation stuff, and I feel like that's you too. It's 100% me. I love the Star Wars prequels, and I will never stop talking about them. And all of the deleted scenes in episode two and three mm. are that stuff. It's all yes. Trade Federation political stuff, and it's great, and it makes the movies better, it makes the whole saga better, it makes Star Wars better, so... Mm. Like, like, my feeling about that stuff is that even if it doesn't make it into the final script, the writer needs to have a handle on all of this background stuff, mm. to a degree. Yeah, I can see that. And that's what, I mean, not, you know, I'm sorry, I know we're not a Star Wars podcast. We pretend I have a sometimes. lot of Star Wars feelings. And The Last Jedi was the only movie of the sequels to acknowledge that the prequels exist in any way. Yes. And it's also the only one that, that got into, you know, the economics of the First Order and how yeah. both sides are getting I, their weapons and so forth and I, the capitalism behind it all. I'm constantly getting into fights with people that Star Wars is not about space battles. And yet... <laughs> Rise of Skywalker was a lot about space battles. I just kept <laughs> sitting there in the, in, the, in the audience thinking, but where are the Sith getting all the money for these ships? And who is making their robes? And where are they getting the fabric? And <laughs> So, yes. So, bringing it back to Star Trek, mm. I, they've introduced the idea of Bubble Land Starfleet and... I want to know more, and I have a feeling that Bubble Land Starfleet only exists to give our Discovery people a something to like a, a duty, like you know, a, they're they're going to be sent out on missions, yeah, and yeah. B uh, something to fight against because that's what Star Trek shows are about: is the people on our our crew fighting against the people in charge. Yes. Uh, to be honest, I'm kind of okay with that because I feel like a Bubble Land Starfleet is a really great science fiction setting and they have a flying rainforest. They can do so much with their sets, so much more than just redressing the Sensho Bridge again. Mm. But also I like the idea of them having a base and that's something that Discovery has never really had. They never really visited star bases. They never really... 
they went back to Earth a couple of times, but we didn't really see much of it, save for a little bit of Toronto. Like, I like the idea of them having a place to come back to. Mm. And I also like the idea that, like, maybe Kayla could take a break and get some therapy and then come back. I do. It was a little, you know, how Michael was so mm. adamant that her crew must stay together. And I was a, sort of a little, like, but maybe some people don't want to. Maybe some people would rather go work in this rainforest for a while. Right. Right. So, that's, that's how I felt too. And it started to feel a bit like that TNG thing where no one can ever get promoted or transferred or leave. Right. And I get that it's, I don't like I, it's an ensemble and it's our crew and we, we've built up this team, but it's sort of like, first of all, the discovery, and I know I complained about getting rid of Nan like 20 minutes ago, but mm -hmm. there are 800 people in this show and we could definitely like stand to lose a few of them. Like, not to get murdered, not to get uh, killed off by torpedoes, not no. to sacrifice themselves for any particular reason, and not to, like, stay behind on a ghost ship for the rest of your life. But <laughs> some could take a break, like you say, or get a transfer, and it would be okay. That's exactly what I was thinking. Because, one, if you leave these people together... To a point, it's good for their mental health, but then after that point, it's bad. And secondly, this is not an ensemble series. The main character is Michael, and then the regulars are Saru and Tilly and Stamets and Hugh and not Nan anymore. But, <laughs> you know, everyone else is a guest star. And other than Kayla, none of them have personalities. Right. It's weird because if you watch the original series, which I admit I don't often, mm. but there are three characters on that show and a bunch of people in the background who every once in a while get to do something. Mm. And people love it and they made up whole backstories for those background people that is not in, like, Hikaru, Sulu, Hikaru, and Nyota, Uhura, like, both of them did not have first names. No, they were named by Vonda McIntyre. We don't need to know the inner lives of every single person on the bridge crew, and I don't mind, like, I really loved the, the, the dinner scene, and I know I, I made fun of the fact that, like, three people just didn't do anything. Like, mm. they were just sort of there. But it's it's more blatant when three people are there doing nothing and six people randomly all of a sudden have something to do. And I, it's just weird. It's just a strange... The way they're doing things is strange. The fact that they continuously pan over to Lieutenant Nielsen... Who, who I, doesn't do like, anything. Who literally has no line. character. <laughs> she, I, I do not know her name. I only know her name because someone on Discord yelled at me for not knowing her name. <laughs> and I, I, I don't care about her at all because she doesn't have any personality. <laughs> right. It's and, nice that they liked the actress enough to keep her after she couldn't continue as Ariane because of the makeup. But, you know, what's she doing? They either have to give her a scene to do something. It just does not need to be like, I do not want another Arium, another non. Like, we're going to tell you everything you need to know about this character so that you will care when she leaves 40 minutes later. Mm. I mean, have, a, you know, a, a, some little scenes and let us, as the audience, do the work of deciding, you know, what we what we think about them but you can't do that by just showing her face like she's no. i you know she's pretty that's fine <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, she's not i do i i at the now every time she shows up sorry i start laughing because i i don't even see lieutenant nielsen anymore i just see we're gonna show her for no reason mm. because we we want to because it's in her contract i don't know i don't care about the bridge crew I am a little bit interested in Kayla. I don't ship her with a Washicon because a Washicon doesn't have a personality. <laughs> I 
don't know anything about these people. Like, even Kayla has a bit of a personality, but then she's like, oh, I'm having trouble dealing with trauma because I'm a pilot and pilots are macho. And I'm like, since when is that a part of your personality? That just... <laughs> well, that's what... That's because that that's part of the problem is that when they bring someone up and they decide we need someone to have this you know affliction or whatever mm. for plot reasons and we're going to give it to this person but if you've already i don't know it's just it's just weird the way they're doing things is weird but you mentioned owashikun and i agree that she is she doesn't have much personality no but she did remember in new eden she had like she got backstory she got you know it was like we this is it was something like she's basically like Amish, right? She's like she's yeah, space yeah, Amish. Her, she's so a she's space, space Amish, and and they didn't get rid of her in that episode. So now, when I do see her, when she's interacting with, I mean, she's it's really very sweet how she is constantly like telling Kayla that you know you can do it just you know focus and you can do it it's like she's she's Kayla's cheerleader which is like not a great look I was going to say like (laughs) a lot of people ship them because of that and I'm like have you never seen friends like I'm not saying they couldn't be a couple but supporting each other alone does not make two people a couple and two it is entirely one-sided it is entirely oh whoa right the black woman backing up Kayla yeah but that's kind of why i do want the are them to be a couple because at least then there's a reason. would have a, a a relationship and it wouldn't be she's just the asexual mm. best friend who's always you know supporting Kayla. i can see that but i just i just don't care very much and I care even less about Reese and Bryce and Nilsson. Oh yeah, I, and... I have no. I they are just there, and and the thing is, it's like it's fine for fans to want to know more, and right. it's fine for them to write stories about them. We are very much fine. a podcast in favor of fixating on a side character. Yes, absolutely, but it's not the the show is not servicing the storyline by making them prominent and yet inconsequential yeah like i feel like morn has a more vivid personality than most of these people and he never had a line of dialogue and it's like if voyager was constantly telling us what how ayala was reacting right to whatever and, and ayala is hugely popular in voyager I, fandom he, i wrote ayala like, <laughs> So, so it's totally possible to to meet this, you know. Yes, someone who is recognizable in in like you know 150 episodes, but is not a main character. Go ahead. It feels like another example of the show pandering to the audience who don't want to acknowledge that the show is not an ensemble piece and its main character is a black woman. Like, yeah, I think season- that. In season yes. one, Owo was hugely popular among the sorts of fans who hated Michael. And she was sort of there, I'm not racist, I just think Awashikon is a much, much better character. And I'm like, is it, is it because she doesn't talk? Is that it? <laughs> exactly, yes. It's the same people who say that we didn't need Michael because you already had Uhura. And it's like, are mm. you serious? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if they, if they want to pander to fans, they should pander to me personally and <laughs> bring back cat but in strange new worlds where she's not going to I, impinge on michael burnham's story I, I, yeah next generation deep space nine especially deep space nine and mm. voyager had huge casts they had they huge did. ensembles and like it's funny because, you know, okay, so I love Voyager, right? Mm-hmm. It's my favorite Star Trek. But Harry Kim is not well utilized. No! Once 709 comes on, Chicote and Tuvok and, like, it becomes the Janeway 7 and the Doctor's show 
with special appearances by Paris and Torres. <laughs> and that's great. Right. <laughs> right, it's great. I love it. It's fine. I but... also wish that they had acknowledged that and dropped most of the other cast down to a supporting level where, exactly. you know, they're around and they're getting paid and they have their episodes, but no one is pretending these are main characters. Deep and... Space Nine succeeds at having a right. giant cast beyond even the main ensemble by treating everyone as, you know, like there are episodes that even Kira is not in. I was just going to say, they also succeed because a lot of the main cast don't appear in every episode. There are whole runs of episodes where Cisco doesn't appear because Avery right. Brooks is pursuing his own projects. And he's the captain. You know, Cole Meany was always going off to do movies. So they almost had to develop their cast and develop a really big supporting company to go with them. And, and Voyager just... couldn't do that because their setup was different and I, I just think Discovery does, shouldn't be trying to be Deep Space Nine. Right. I think that it's a fan problem. I think the fans mm. need to calm down <laughs> and uh, like enjoy Star Trek the way that everyone has been enjoying Star Trek for 50 years and not require everyone to have a, you know, a, a memoir in order to for them to care about them. Well, see, that's the I, other I, I, thing. I think a lot of fans genuinely believe that all previous Star Treks have been successful ensembles. Like, TNG, we discussed TOS. TNG was like the Data Picard Riker yeah. show with special appearances by. And Enterprise had a much smaller support, smaller cast than the other shows and didn't even use Mayweather and Hoshi. And Hoshi at all. And really, like, Malcolm Reed... We, there were plenty of episodes where he was sort of like, hi, I'm here, and then <laughs> we'd go. Yeah, he's the Lieutenant Nielsen of Enterprise. I don't know why. It, it's, you know what? <laughs> again, I know we're a Star Trek podcast, but I'm going to talk about Star Wars again and talk mm. about how I don't understand why the trio of Finn and Poe and Rey was so important in the final movie when Poe and Rey didn't even meet until the end of The Last Jedi. And I just had the impression that they hated each other desperately and tolerated each other for Finn's sake. Right. But then, like, you were supposed to, like, we're supposed to be happy that she has these these two great friends. And it's like, but she doesn't. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> understand why we are living in this fictional world where this is a relationship that matters. So I'm just really, like... Look, my hot take is that Poe was a bad character and he should have been allowed to die a heroic death at the beginning of The Force Awakens yes. instead Oscar of being shoehorned into the other movies. agrees with you at this point, so... And, and he is a very talented actor and very handsome and I enjoy watching him. I just hate Poe. I just... I, so, it's the same problem as, like, we are going to... We're gonna be an ensemble. We're gonna be yeah. a trio. We're gonna be, uh, and it's like, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. That is that is not actually a requirement. It's not a requirement of Star Trek to have an ensemble. It's just, no. it's just not. Like I don't, I don't get it. Why are we pretending that that's true? I so agree with you. And it's not even that I dislike these characters. I just don't think we need to pretend that they're important. And they just get in the way. Yeah, like, and again, I loved everything that happened with Nan this episode, but also if Nan didn't exist, like we could have spent more time with other stuff. It's true, like Tilly got really sidelined in the second half of last season, and that's partially because Pike was getting so much attention. And don't get me wrong, I really like Nan. I've liked her from the beginning, and I think she's had a really strong and interesting personality and like I had this whole headcanon about her and Saru bonding over the fact that they're both from non-federation pre-warp societies and found their way into Starfleet so I love Nan and I love that her departure sees her finding a way to serve that also lets her go home like I think that is a wonderful ending I as with Ariane I wish it had been sort of foreshadowed a bit sooner 
But I also right. wonder if maybe, like, in her interrogation and her debriefing with Starfleet, she was all of a sudden like, oh, no, I don't want to be here. When you, The way you just described it, I was like, that's what happens with Neelix. <laughs> and it's like, that's a good thing. Yeah. Nan gets a good ending. I'm, I'm happy with Nan. I just think that given that we're getting rid of her, why did we spend so much time with her? Right. I, I'm just, I'm confused. I'm just confused. The choices don't make a lot of sense to me. And also just when I thought they'd figured out pacing, they failed to pace this one well. The in- interrogation scenes were not long enough. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they, we found a, 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 the family video and we're going to, like, stand here and talk about it for ten minutes was unnecessary. It felt like two half plots sort of messily joined into one episode. And sometimes you can get away with that. And I did not not enjoy watching this. And I particularly enjoy how explicit the season's theme is of confronting the ugly truth. Mm, that that yes. you can't move past. I, I think that's a really wonderful theme. I just, oh, my yes. other my other uh, issue with pacing is that Nan had that uh, that line to Michael, and it was like they acted that scene so hard. Like I know. it was amazing. Okay, great, great, great scene. However, when she said, "I always remember what you said to Ariam's funeral." I was like, that was two weeks ago. <laughs> How can you always remember? It's just like, just people, they keep doing that. I had the mm-hmm. same issue with Tilly. It's like, stop acting like time has passed. <laughs> because it hasn't. I was like, Ariam's funeral? That was, that was 25 years ago. I do think that they ought to have some sort of uh, timeline or something up in the writer's room. But I also think we've known since season one that they don't fully understand the passage of time. Yes, they definitely don't understand the passage of time. You are, you are correct. The, I mean, the fact that Michael was only missing a year is really bothering me because maybe this is a good you know, segue into my Michael rant. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but the, oh, she has had way too much character growth for only a year to have gone by. I mean, maybe it was a really hard year. Maybe horrible things happened to her. But... No, I agree. I don't understand why she's become a totally different character. Like, and it was only a year. Like, I... Even here in 2020, I am still the same person I was in February of 2020... Like, I don't get it. It's just very... <laughs> no, okay. I agree. And then with Michael and Saru... Okay. So what I got out of this episode is that they're trying to get a classic Kirk Spock, Janeway Tuvok, Archer DePaul thing going on with mm. Michael and Saru. But the problem is that in Kirk, Spock, Archer, and DePaul, and Janeway Tuvok, the rule breaker is the captain. And the yes. rule enforcer is the subordinate. When the rule enforcer is the subordinate, it comes off very differently. And the fact that Michael is a black woman I was about makes to say. me very uncomfortable. Like, they found a very diplomatic way for Saru to set to tell her to watch her tone uh, as opposed to Admiral Vance who is not played by a white guy so I guess that makes it better but he literally says it but I'm like that's twice in one episode yeah I I, I, I think it was a friend of the podcast Aristophanes who said she's tired of Michael saving everyone and then being told she did it the wrong way right Yes, it's just, it's, I, and the thing is that we saw Michael in charge. We saw Michael captaining that ship and she was great at it. Yeah. So, so why is Saru there? Ooh, ooh, I, and you know, I like Saru now and I don't even like 
blame him for being a rule enforcer because that's I get it. I get why he is that, especially with how he was introduced and how Michael was introduced. Yes. And their history. Like, I get why he's having this. But the fact that he's in charge of her, the fact that he has... I, I, I the, Everything about it really rubbed me the wrong way. And I just do not like any of it. And I, and I don't know. I cannot tell if the writers understand what they're doing. No, like they do have a black woman in the writers team at last, uh, but this is also the season where renowned African-American novelist Walter Mosley was uh, censured by HR for using the N-word as he recounted something that happened to himself. So, you know, someone, someone in that room complained to HR and I'm guessing it's probably someone white. The only other thing I have to say, just so that I don't end this rant on like a, a angry note, mm. is that the fact that Michael chafes against authority, which mm. she has done from the beginning, like that is true to Michael. Yes. That she thinks that she knows things and and she has to like convince people and if they don't listen, then she's going to do it her way anyway because she's smarter. Mm. I blame Sarek. <laughs> Oh, 100%. Because both because he would be such an authority to chafe against, like, easily. I absolutely mm. understand that, parent, you know, Daddy Sarek would be someone the that worst. you would just by default want to mm. be on the other side mm. of. Not even consciously. And also that it's a super Sarek belief like Sarek thinks mm. that he's right all the time and if people don't listen to him he's gonna do it his way anyway and so she is very much Sarek's daughter in both ways and Spock is the same yes absolutely and Spock is the same you know the fan service that I did want and I still hope that we get it is for Michael to see Nimoy Spock and see that he had this career and he had this life and left this great legacy. And, you know, that's her brother. And I'm all teary now for a sudden. Oh, but also, like... also I wanted Admiral Vance to be like, we have no record of Spock having a sister and, and being really snotty about it, fandom style. And also I just want to point out that erasing Discovery from the records has really screwed Discovery. Yeah, yes. Because they're, okay, so I watched The Net, the 1995 movie starring Sandra Bullock, which is bad, but and it's on Ger- Hulu. Um, Jeremy Northam, my first boyfriend. <laughs> yes, yes, Jeremy Northam. Anyway, so it's bad. Fun. However, however, it was like the same plot where, where she is like, you know, hey, I'm this person. And they're like, no, you're not. We, that person doesn't exist. <laughs> and it, it's, it, I was just like. When you do these things where you take people out of the computer, you are right. screwing them. It is bad. Right. It is a I'm bad choice. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have classified control or made or, or like erased all records of control. I just think wiping the whole of Discovery was a mistake. It was a huge mistake. You know, we've only been ranting about this for over a year. I'm so angry. But yeah, it would have, at, at least if Starfleet Command classified it, at least, the it, like, it drives me crazy that Saru was able to look up in the database that the trailer joined with Simeon's, mm-hmm. and that was like, hey, if it, you know, it's classified, but but I still have this, this information. And yet Vance couldn't look up in the computer that the discovery existed ever. <laughs> Well, Saru cheated because he checked with the Sphere, who respects no mere <laughs> we classifications. Even up the, sphere. Mm. the Sphere is basically if Memory Alpha had a personality, only it has a much <laughs> nicer personality than Memory Alpha, or what I would imagine Memory Alpha to have. So, you know. Then Michael was like, we have the Sphere data, and it's 100,000 years. And Lance was like, what? Like, Why? So you came all this way to protect Space Wikipedia. Yes, exactly. Oh my god. I can't. I can't. I, I, like, you know, I, I love this show. I really do. And I even enjoyed watching this episode. 
Oh, so did I. Twice. If I spent two seconds thinking about the plot or, like, the storyline or anything that was happening, I was just, I I would start laughing or I would start ranting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And none of this is an indictment of the show. Like, I'm actually really interested to see how the video game pacing works out for them because so far it kind of works for the story they're telling and I'm I I still don't care about the burn but I'm intrigued by the musical cue as musical cue clue clue yes Uh, anyway super into the music part yeah yeah and I know I was complaining about the music Mm -hmm. earlier but Jeff Russo is I love his work Yes. And when he's making a, when he's composing his own story songs, uh, I'm super brilliant. into it. Like I I love yeah. like I Soji and Nary Swaltz is like my favorite song. <laughs> my second favorite song. But I I listen to it all the time. It just makes me happy. And no, every every show he scores and I've watched a bunch because apparently we have similar taste or something. He's really, really good. Yeah. I just think he's better than Alexander Courage and right. they need to stop exactly. relying on I it's it's the like in uh the first in Star Trek two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. Michael Giancarlo uh, who's another? I, I I really enjoy his work. Like I mm-hmm. I love I love instrumental music. I love film scores specifically. Film and television scores are like my favorite music. And I really liked how he played with having. You know, here's the this this the music you know, and then here's new music. You know, but yeah. it was, what was better was in the sequels he referenced his own music and then went on new directions instead of referencing the original series. You know what I'm yes. saying? Like, it's like he was, it was, there was, there was still this really, really amazing through line of music. And, and because his original pieces initially referenced the original series, it was all still there. But it, it grew and it evolved into something mm. else. And so... And I like Jeff, Jeff Russo. Like he's really good. Like I just want to say, he's really good. And his he, his work is is I I really think that music brings a lot to both Discovery and Picard. And, Same. You know, I I just applaud it, and I love the idea that music is a plot point now. Like that is so exciting to me. It makes me think of Battlestar Galactica, but in a good way. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love, I like, like, so I'm sure it's probably, like, I don't know because I avoid talking about Battlestar Galactica with people because it's as bad as talking about Star Trek or Star Wars with people. So, Mm -hmm. but it's probably, I probably people don't like that. I'm going to guess is that most people don't like the, the earth music. Uh, But I was super into it. I loved that scene. I loved it so much. I, I was just like, think it's... wait, I know this song. Like, it was so exciting to me. <laughs> so... I am so intrigued to know where it's going because a piece of music is such an intangible sort of clue. And maybe it was like, you know, the total eclipse of the heart of just prior to the burn. And so everyone knows it. Sorry, I've had an earworm for like two weeks. It's a real problem. Um, Turn no. around, also, you know what? Eyes. Like, uh, was it Willis suggested that everyone knew this as a lullaby, right? Like, as a. Something like that, yeah. I would love for them to encounter someone who knew it as, like, a completely different, like a, like a, I don't know, a, a opera or something, mm. like something that was not a lullaby. It would be, it would be cool to see how the same melody plays in different musical Context. genres but is still the same message the same clue i agree and i also think that making it a lullaby is really interesting it's all like oh yes because some, it's a way to get into the heads of children right and also you can imagine you know people people like put you know uh 
headphones on their belly and and play yeah. music to their babies before they're even born. It's mm. like it is foundational. A subliminal message inside a lullaby almost feels like something out of Moffat era Doctor Who. And I love that era, so I really hope that's it. So yes, I'm super into it. And it, yeah, like this episode had a lot of cool things that happened. I just like I never understood what was going on and I had problems that I mm. have described. And so it was definitely like sort of like a five for me. Not a, you know, not a ten, not an eight. <laughs> it was just it was it wasn't a three, but you know? Yeah, I would give it like a six or seven, maybe. And that's provided I don't think about it too much after. Before we wrap up, I have one more thing to complain about. <laughs> Saru's historiography is terrible. Like, no one, no respectable historian has referred to the Dark Ages for at least 30 years. It's oh the Middle Ages. And Yes, the bubonic plague spread across the whole of a most of Asia and or the whole of Europe. I think it also got into at least Northern Africa. I don't really know. But the point is, only really Europe was in the so-called Dark Ages and really only Western Europe, like the yeah. Middle East, the Islamic areas, they were doing just fine. It was a golden age. China, Japan, golden age the various empires of africa i assume they were doing great it was disgustingly not even just human centric but eurocentric it was and it was through and i was just like so you better than you know that you know the episode where wesley leaves starfleet and and goes off with the traveler and like lives with people who are like chakotay yes Okay, it's a bad episode. But uh, in yeah. that episode, randomly, for no particular reason, Deanna Troy is like, well, the Indian Treaty of blah, 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 blah. And it was just like, why do you know that? There is no oh, reason for you, I have Deanna a Troy, to know that. I have a headcanon for why she knows that, and it's because her father read westerns with her, and then together they studied the colonial and genocidal underpinnings of the genre. <laughs> and, and so she knows quite a lot about the history of the wars against the Native Americans. That is an awesome headcanon that I will definitely accept. But it's not in the episode, or suggested not. in the episode. And, and for Saru, there is no excuse. Like, okay, I can, I can accept that Saru, when he joins Starfleet, like, learns as much as he can about Starfleet history, and because Starfleet is so Earth-centric, learns as much as he can about Earth history. But it was like, no. Just, just no. There, no. No. <laughs> I, as you say... They, like, we are already refuting that mm. reality now. We've been refuting that reality since, like, the 1980s. Like, just, just All stop. Longer. Like, I'm just... not a medievalist, but my understanding is that people have been saying this for a long time. And I feel like it's the writers not updating what they learned in high school. And it would have been better, again, and I, I, I know you already said you don't agree with this, but it would have been better for me if he, it was Kelpian history. If he told a story about his own planet that was like a legend that mm. was told, blah, 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 blah. No, I would be totally up for that. So because, much better. <laughs> yeah, because that tells us something about Saru and about Kelpian culture, and it's not just making up a pop song from the 32nd century right. oh god they've also basically done that um anyway <laughs> i don't i just like i was yes i completely agree with this rant of yours because it was and it was another thing that pulled me completely out of the yeah, episode yeah. because i was just standing there going no <laughs> no that is wrong stop it stop it with the the like oh the only things that matter are what mattered to me, the writer in 10th grade. Basically. <laughs> I'm just yeah. over it. So yeah, sorry. Sorry, listeners. I This was not a great episode for me. <laughs> so we got to the end of the episode and my flatmate turned to me and she's like, so from that whole Dark Ages bit, I guess the Klingons are just going along as normal and doing really great. 
<laughs> so, right. I am curious, again, I'm curious. I'm curious if the Klingons actually joined the Federation. Mm. I'm curious if the Klingons, like, for them to revert to type would be totally, like, that, I understand that. That would make sense to me. I'm curious, okay, so the next episode, next week's episode is Unification 3, and straight up, all I could think about was, are there Romulans in it? <laughs> no, the first time I saw the title of that episode, it was a few weeks before the premiere, and I was like, one, I get to talk about the Unification 2-parter, which is going to annoy Annika because she hates it. Two, it's totally a fake-out, and Unification 3 is the name of a planet. And three, I really hope that it's the planet where the Vulcans and the Romulans are, you know, have merged oh, their societies. Oh my and goodness! I'm I'm sad that the the trailer doesn't seem to suggest it, but maybe it's going to be a big surprise. Yeah, the trailer's... Like, it's weird. The trailer is very not unification at all. Like, not not even just, like, unification the Star Trek episode, but it, it's, it, it felt... It, it seemed to be describing, like, a heist. <laughs> yeah, and what? don't get me wrong, I'm into that, but it seems to be more about the Emerald Chain than any Vulcan or Romulan or general pointy-eared shenanigans. Which I suppose so, yeah. I'll allow, but okay. I, I, I just but yeah, I so love Romulans. I'm, I'm interested in the Romulans. I'm interested in the Vulcans. Mm. I'm interested in the Klingons. Like I'm, 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 I again. I would love to just have like Michael and Tilly <laughs> riding around in Saru, I guess, because he's like a historian apparently. He can come and uh, uh, and he has to and sit learn. Down and shut up and learning stuff mm. <laughs> about how. The Federation works now. Like that, I would be super into that. Obviously, that's not what we're getting, but I would also you know. settle for like Giorgio and Reno sitting in the gallery, like Statler and Waldorf, eating snacks and heckling. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> my cat is. My cat has a lot to say. <laughs> well, she has been running around and and yelping and scratching. This entire episode. <laughs> you know, we've all had a lot of opinions on this episode. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook at search for antimatterpod. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. We love five-star reviews. And join us in two weeks. No, one week. And join (laughs) us next week when we'll be talking about the next episode of Star Trek Discovery as we've discussed, Unification 3. Fingers crossed for some pointy-eared logic action.